Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, and we are recording today's show the day after Halloween on what is actually a holiday for college counselors nationwide, November 1st. Today is the day that we have an opportunity to exhale for probably the first time since Labor Day as students are forced. They are finally forced to submit a first round of applications for early action or early decision schools if they have chosen to do so. And if you hear a little bit of tired relief in our voices on the show today, well, that's the reason why. I've also got only three candy wrappers on my desk so far, and that's because it's it's early in the morning here in Portland. Of course, you'll be listening to the show on November 8th, and that means for most of you that you're on to the next round of applications. Whether you're applying RD to a set of private schools or turning your attention to public schools, the work doesn't stop once those first EA apps are in. University of Washington has a deadline next week on the 15th, and the UCs are due at the end of the month, which is why we're going to start today's show by talking to you about the UC application. Now, California is unusual in a lot of ways. And one of the things it's pretty quirky about is its state application system. You can only submit an app between November 1st and November 30th. You can work on it August 1st if you want, but November is the time to make the submission. And because that opens up today, and for you guys a a week ago today, uh, we want to better understand some of the components of the UC application. And I'd like to welcome my friend and a former California resident, current college coach educator, Steve Brennan, to the show. Welcome to the the show, B. Thank you. Good to be here. So the November submission window is one of the quirks about the UC application, but there are a few other things that are noticeably different from the common application, if not totally unique to the UCs. And I want to start by seeing if we could just name a few things that are somewhat unconventional for the UCs, maybe things that our listeners are unaware of uh, with respect to that application. Sure. You know, I think one of the biggest things is that Almost all of the UC app is self-reported. <clears throat> Excuse me. So um, for many of the common app schools, you need to coordinate with your school office and make sure that you follow their deadlines. Mm-hmm. Um, say if the uh, application you're turning in is due December 1st, your high school might have a deadline of November 15th or two weeks in advance of that. For the UC, it's all on you. You do it all yourself. You go in, you report all your grades. If you are lucky enough to go to a high school in California, it populates the application for you. So once you put in your high school, there's a drop-down menu of the courses. You can just choose the courses that you've taken, but you do need to enter your grades. You do all that yourself. There's not letters of recommendation at the time of application. Now, you might get asked down the road to send in a letter of rec, but at the time you apply, it's all you, which is, I think, really empowering and great. Yeah, it's fantastic. And and I want to emphasize that it's all you, the student. And while parents can sometimes be helpful to troubleshoot some things here, that it's really a great idea to have the student be the one that's leading the charge here, that's aware of what the login and password information is, and is going ahead and filling out that application by themselves. Uh, self-reporting, I think, is a really big part and really empowering part of the UC system, for sure. Um, are there some some other differences about the UC application? Well, just a note there, too, your browser is likely going to save your password. I don't care. Write it down someplace else because there can be problems with that. Your browser might not work every time. Make sure you have your password saved. 
if you try to log in too many times on the UC app, it will uh, freeze the account, lo- uh, lock you out, and send you an email to, to reboot. And that can be frustrating, especially if you're waiting to the last minute, which I know none of our listeners will do, but it has happened in the history <laughs> of the UC application, let me just, let me just mention. Um, there's, there's a couple other uh, things for sure that are different. You know, in the Common App, Ian, I don't know about you, but in my practice, I usually discourage students from using that additional information section unless there's really something significant mm-hmm. to share and yeah. to absolutely not use it to, to point out or to explain or to give context for something that's not positive. I always say for the Common App, you know, trust your reader. She's going to see something that is negative. She, you know, you, you don't want to bring more attention to the negative. I think on the UC app, it's a little bit different, though. They're, they're quite happy to have you use that uh, additional information section to give context. If you had mono and, and missed class for two weeks and, and your grades were a little bit lower that semester, you changed high schools and the courses didn't line up, um, things that in other applications might be explained or put into context by the guidance officer, since there is no guidance officer letter, need to come from you, and they're quite happy to review that. Yeah, that is important. I think it, it goes back to that sense of it being self-reported, that there really is an opportunity for you to provide an explanation, because if you don't, nobody else will. And so there might be components of your application, of your grade trend that doesn't immediately make sense to somebody who's reading that application, and you need to provide them the info that helps them to understand that a little bit better. Um, I think it's also worth noting that in the UC review process, they they really don't count strikes against you. They're only looking for opportunities to give you points. And that is somewhat unusual in the review process from what you see at Common App Schools. I mean, we could look for negatives when we were reading applications for Common App Schools and see those and count those as strikes against you, but that really doesn't happen within the UC system, right? That's right, and it's, it's so interesting. One thing I love about the UC app is their transparency. Um, they really yeah. uh, work hard to make sure that students and, and families understand what's counted, what's not, how things are used, how information's used. And they have this big PowerPoint that I was going through last night, Ian, and prep for this call. And they say in multiple places, don't worry about a low result. We're looking to see that you tried. So that's another difference with the Common app. You don't have to report scores on the Common application. The UC app, you do. You have to put in something for those test score fields. By scores, I'm sorry, I mean ACT and SAT. And they say, don't worry about a low score. We're going to notice that you tried. You're going to send in your scores. And just to one UC campus, and it doesn't matter which UC campus you send scores to. And I have students ask me multiple questions, follow up on this every year. They're like, well, if I, you know, UC San Diego is my top choice, so I should send my scores to them. But then Irvine's going to see that I sent my scores to UC. No, they're not. <laughs> what happens no. is the scores go to the system level, and then right. they're shared. They're pulled down by each campus in the system. They're not going to see that you, you know, you like San Diego better than Irvine. It doesn't work that way. Um, but just pick one. UC campus to send your SAT, your subject scores, your ACT scores too, and and they will share those system wide. And if you have a low score and one of them a low sub score, that's fine. Yeah, I, I there's there's, I think it's really instructive for students to think about the University of California as as one entity. It's it's one entity that has multiple different campuses. You can choose a few or all or just one of those campuses that you might be interested in. At each campus, you can choose a major, maybe a a secondary major at some campuses as well. But think about it as one system uh, in terms of uh, how your application gets sent. But 
nine different or eight different systems in terms of how the application is actually reviewed, right? The the review process is very much siloed off so that Irvine is not aware of the decision that's being made at San Diego. No more than University of Arizona would be aware of anything you sent to CU Boulder. You're right, right. exactly. Um, it is, and, and that's word for word, what they say in, in one of their uh, documents that, you know, what's shared system-wide and what's not, um, each campus does its own review, and that is a separate silo, and so don't worry, you're protected by FERPA, the Federal Education Rights Privacy Act, unless you specifically give permission for campus to see data. That's the only way they can see it, right? They're not gonna. They're not gonna see it now. One exception to that is if you are in the top, uh, if if you are ELC eligibility in the local context. So if you're a highly rated California high school student, you're guaranteed admission to the UC system. Now that's not to a particular campus. That's not to a particular major. And at that point, what might happen is say you apply to UCLA, your credentials don't uh, merit you admission to UCLA, but you're guaranteed admission to the system. So the UC system will get your credentials and then find a match for you. But when you you have to make yourself eligible for that based on your rank at your California public high school. And that sort of is a system where the the UC would say we have an eligible student who has not been offered admission at any UC campus, but has applied to at least one UC campus. And so we need to make that connection as opposed to That's saying right. This student is eligible, so forget UCLA. Let's just offer them, uh, you know, admission to one of our less selective institutions. That it's not sort of a proactive process on that front. That's, that's exactly right. Yep, good distinction. Um, and and these are, you know, I think part of the reason be that we're talking about all of this is because California can sometimes be a stressful place to be a high school student and to be a parent. And a lot of rumors are kicked around about how the UC system makes its selections, how they review applications, what constitutes a competitive file, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are so many stories that we hear, some that are repeated every year, some that are new ones that we get to hear, um, you know, year to year. And we want to help families to understand that this is this is pretty transparent in terms of what the UCs are, are looking for. That's that's right. And, and you know, it's, there's so much conversation around these things, and, and I know you and I talked about this at other times, how much we love questions or comments to start with, well, I heard that. Right. And there's, it's, I, I understand. And the, the process is not as transparent as we'd like, but California, the UC system, works really hard to be as transparent as they can be and to answer some of these questions and to dispel some of these myths and, and to make it as accessible as possible to the greatest number of students. Um, but it's, it's competitive, for sure. You know, you, you, you look at the population growth in California, um, mm-hmm. and I looked at these numbers recently. The the population increased by 50% since 1980, and we have an increased capacity at the UC system by 50%, right? So, of course, it's more selective, and of course, it was easier for our parents to get in than it is for us or, or, or students graduating now. And so it's, it's, it's challenging, and I sympathize with that. But there's still a lot of things you can do, and, and the process still tries to be as transparent as possible. That's right. And, and Merced was um, added relatively recently, right, as a way of expanding slightly the number of students that can be served by the University of California system, but still not uh, that in any kind of pace that's consistent, um, you know, with the growth of the population of California as a whole. But, 
That's right. And it's so different than other states. You know, I'm originally from Indiana, where the two flagship universities, IU and Purdue, world-class institutions, Indiana's population has not changed much over the last 20 or 30 years. And so it's still pretty easy to get into those schools. And I use them as as a proxy for, you know, there's a lot of states in that situation, right? And so California is different. California is different in many, many ways. And that's, that's one of them. Right, exactly. Um, now, I, I want to sort of talk a little bit about some nuts and bolts of what students can expect when they actually get in there. Now, a lot of students have had a chance to get in and look at the application beginning on August 1st. It's, it's been open. It's been available to go in and start entering info. Um, hopefully, if you've been drafting your personal insight questions, you've been doing that in a separate piece of word processing software as opposed to doing it in the application because it will not save as you update. So draft those elsewhere. But we're going to put the essays aside and talk instead about some of the mechanical pieces of the application that we get a lot of questions about. So you wanted to start be uh, in talking about entering in classes. Um, you mentioned that California high school students will have a really easy way of doing that because the classes will appear from a drop-down menu. Um, what are students sort of looking for? How, how should they prepare to manage that part of the process? Sure. And uh, I, I do the application every year. And this year, I am a, uh, evidently going to graduate from Long Beach Poly High School. Um, so I always Congrats. go to different high school every year. But just, just to see the nuts and bolts of the app. You, you input your high school. Um, if you're a California resident, it gives you the drop down. Um, you put in the years. And that's a little tricky. That can be a little tricky. You have to uh, uh, back up and, and figure out, you know, which year. Okay, so ninth grade was what year and tenth grade was what, was what year. Once you have that in, then you can put your academic history in, and that's done um, through the A to G process. So if you're graduating in the spring, your ninth grade was 2015 to 16, and then tenth, et cetera, you go through, you put those years in, and then it will give you options for um, whether your high school was in or out of California and put all that information. And then for the A to G, that uh, the A to G is how the California, uh, both the Cal State and the UCs um, list their courses, list their academic areas. So English, math, science, social studies, mm-hmm. um, world language, all that is uh, broken down into that category, into those categories, excuse me. So you can list seventh and eighth grade courses, but only in math and what they call LOTE, language other than English. So um, those are the two categories. If you took French in 7th and 8th grade. If you took geometry in 7th and 8th grade, you can list that. You don't have to list that institution. You can just list the course for those two academic areas only. Not English, not social studies, but just just math and language other than English, 7th and 8th grade, any of those courses, and that will count towards your requirements to be UC eligible. Mm. Um, The A to G, don't worry too much about that. It's just the core classes plus uh, visual and performing arts is F. And college prep elective is G. And for college prep elective, basically what that is, is something that's in the other categories. That is English, math, science, social studies, world language. That is in addition to the requirements that you need to be eligible. Um, Mm -hmm. So say you take four years of lab science, two two are required. Uh, Really to be competitive at most campuses, you're going to need at least three or four. So you took an extra that can go into the to the G category. So that's that's what they're looking for for the A to G course entry. Perfect. And you can account for classes that you've done that go beyond those A to G requirements uh, in that in that uh, listing of your courses as well? 
You can't account for classes that go beyond. You can't account for classes that are academic but don't really fit in comfortably in those areas. Now, that's not teaching assistant. That's not PE. But if you have a fine arts class, for example, that's in addition to that. If, um, uh, you, can, you can list those courses under activities and awards. Coursework other than A to G that's still academic can go in there. Perfect. Very good. Very helpful. Now, you had also mentioned uh, in our preparing for this, and um, you, you mentioned UCSD at the outset. Now, US, UCSD has one of the strange questions that we always have students asking us about on their application, which is, which of the six UCSD colleges would you like to be considered for? And students say, what is this? So what happens when that question comes up, and how do students manage that? Yeah, I, I, I love that question, and I go back and forth um, on when I fill out the application, uh, just because I love reading the descriptions of it. So you, you choose UCSD in the drop-down menu, San Diego, and all the campuses ask you what majors. UCSD asks you what major as well as what residential college you want to be in. It has no effect, and they put this in bold in multiple places on their website. It has no effect on admission. However, the quality that you choose can affect your GE requirements, that is, your core curriculum classes, the coursework that you have to take to graduate, and it can uh, have an effect, it will have an effect, on the electives that you take outside of your major. There are Mm -hmm. six residential colleges, and each one has a different emphasis, a different focus, and it it will have an effect on the experience that you have there. Read through the descriptions, see which one sounds like you. There are none that are tied to a particular major, Mm-hmm. Um, they have a focus on maybe internationalism or on environmentalism or on engagement um, uh, with uh, political issues. So each one has a little bit of a different focus from a traditional liberal arts to a more math and science based. Read through those. It will not affect admissions, but it will affect what your experience that you see SD is like. So take some time to really look at that, to evaluate, and, and then I think you get to rank them. Right from from your you first do. choice you to, to your sixth choice. Six. Very cool. Yep. And, it's a and, fun thing you don't often get to do for for college applications is actually rank the colleges at a particular school. Exactly right. Awesome. Well, B, we are uh, out of time, and I think we, we mentioned a little bit about the additional information section at the front end, so I hope that uh, our listeners got some good content there, but I want to thank you for coming on to talk about the UC app, which you know so well, and hopefully uh, you have t- some time for a nice cup of coffee and a chance to slow down, maybe even get a nap today. It's November 1. That'd be great. That's right. right? Well, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow. There's a couple of okay. students who are still uh, beating the deadline. All right. Well, I hope that they make it soon um, and that the rest of your day goes uh, nice and smoothly. Thanks a lot for coming on. You as well. Thanks so much, Ian. All right, folks. uh, When we come back, we're going to be talking about a couple of essay supplements that we can look at. So don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com 
If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. In our next segment, we want to continue our series that explores supplemental essay prompts with the essays for Carnegie Mellon and Syracuse University. Now, if you're interested in supplemental essays but aren't planning on applying to Syracuse or CMU, I still recommend listening to this segment. There are a couple of prompts among this group that are similar to the prompts you'll find for other schools. So you have things to learn regardless. Um, I would also suggest that you look back at our archives for prompts from schools that you might actually be interested in applying to because over the last couple of years, we've covered a few dozen institutions. So get in there, see what you've missed, make sure you haven't uh, missed an opportunity to connect with us on a very specific prompt for a school you really love. Right. So for this segment, we're going to welcome our essay guru to the show, Miss Kira Tyler. Kira, about how Hi, many Ian. essays would you say you've read uh, so far this season? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Maybe 250, 300, something like that. Okay, 250 or 300. Yeah, just a normal, normal load. <laughs> that's <laughs> crazy. Uh, so, folks, um, you know that when Kira gives you some advice, that's good advice. It's coming from a lot of experience. Um, and so, we're going to talk today about specifically CMU and Syracuse. And I know you've probably read some essays for CMU and Syracuse uh, among those yeah. 250 essays you've seen this fall. Um, and Carnegie Mellon actually has 
a different approach this year than they've had in previous years. In the past, it was just one 650-word essay, one one-page essay, rather, on the particular major program that you were interested in at Carnegie Mellon and why. This year is a little bit different. Yeah, I, I will say straight up, I am really grateful that they uh, switched it up because for years, uh, students would really struggle with that, and I can't imagine what they got <laughs> yeah. uh, to wade through. Um, it, it was a lot of space to fill. Um, the question wasn't bad, but I think people felt really intimidated by the amount of uh, writing that they were asking for that one particular kind of question. And so I, 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 I read a lot of vamping, you know, a lot of space filling. So I'm really tons glad they changed it up. Yeah, tons of reusing content from other essays to try and fill it up. Yes. And just a, a CMU-specific paragraph here at the end. And so what they've done this year They've kind of broken it out. It's still 650 words mm-hmm. total, but they've asked three separate questions to get at three distinct ideas. Um, I'd like to start with the one that's probably the most uh, similar to what we had last year with CMU, which is um, most students choose their intended major or area of study based on a passion or inspiration that's developed over time. What passion or inspiration led you to choose this area of study? Uh, any initial notes that you have just from the way that that question is asked? Sure. Yeah, my first, um, the first note that I wrote for this was no Legos. So, um, <laughs> and I, I read an essay yesterday that had Legos in it, mention of Legos in it. So, yep, it happens a lot for sure. Yeah, and I am raising uh, an incredible little eight-year-old girl, and she's a Lego fan, um, but, uh, you know, in nine, ten years from now, I will say no Legos, babe. Um, yeah, yeah, I want people to uh, really not twist themselves into knots about what they believe the reader wants to hear, right? This is where I think people struggle, is they're like, well, I want to do computer science, so I've got to talk about the computer that I built, blah, blah, blah. It can be more fun than that. It can be more organic than that. You know, if you were a kid who grew up playing Monopoly and you thought that money piece was really cool, then that feels right to me that you'd be interested in economics or, you know, that you'd be curious about business and how it all works or, you know, operation, you know, you love like the thrill of pretending to do surgery. Like people can be playful and fun like that um, Mm -hmm. in a way that I think is sweet and probably also very telling and true um, without having to be like, oh, I love Legos and therefore I'm going to be an engineer. Um, So, yeah. Which And the reason that that doesn't work, I think, is because it's so common. And, and, you know, if you can find a way to think about friends that you have, maybe that have similar academic interests to you, think about things that are exciting to you that maybe aren't as exciting to your friends. What are the things that are a little bit different in terms of your passion or interest that that helps to set you apart? It's probable that almost everybody that you know that wants to be an engineer played with Legos or built something at some point in time. So think about something that was a little bit different for you and, and that might help you to zero in on the right topic there. Yeah, it could even be somebody who's really into athletics and, you know, realized because, you know, I mean, it's only quite recently that uh, statistics have really gotten, I mean, 
taken over oh, yeah, yeah. almost the sports, you know, the sports angle. And so, but it could be that, you know, you grew up as a kid who really loved hockey um, and you got really, really went down a rabbit hole of stats. Um, and that led you, that was, that sparked the passion, um, yeah. right? Like you, people could absolutely write about that. Um, that would be okay. But yeah, I just want, I want to encourage people to not go for the easy grab. That's right. And yeah, let's let's move on to another topic before I think too deeply about how bad my fantasy basketball team is this year. Um, okay, so the next, the one I want to focus on next is sort of about connecting with others. Uh, it has a quote from um, uh, an author of the last lecture, um, and is is an essay that I think we see at a lot of schools. Um, it says at Carnegie Mellon, you have the opportunity to collaborate with a diverse community of scholars, artists, and innovators. Um, given the students, faculty, staff, and resources that have been available to you as a student, how have you collaborated with others in or out of the classroom? Or what lessons have you learned from working with others in the past that might shape your experience in the future? Do you see that there are two separate questions here, or do you feel like students need to respond to both of those two questions? Yeah, I I actually think that these are two separate questions and that for some students, they may find that they organically answer both. But mm-hmm. um, I, I think that these can be two separate questions. And so if you really dive deep into one and only barely touch on the other, that that's really okay. That's my sense of this. Gotcha. And so the first one is yeah, over what? I, an example of an experience. Yes. The second one is like, that's a, right. what have you learned from it? Kind of thing. Exactly. And I also think, too, that um, I know sometimes, like, my students get so um, worried about the semantics of the question. And I will be frank, like, this is not, this is a little complicated in terms of the way that it's written. So I think it does take a little bit of time and unpacking to get it. But um, mm-hmm. what I always tell my kids is that if you have a really compelling answer, uh, something that really speaks to one piece of this, if it's well-written, no one's going to be like, oh, my gosh, I was really wanting the rest of that, you know, or I wanted more of a fully developed, because I really believe that if they answered the first piece of this really beautifully about the collaboration angle, that mm-hmm. um, they will have done their job really well. And I, I think this is a really smart question for CMU to ask, because if you think about it, there are not very many schools that are truly as diverse um, from an, a multidisciplinary academic you know, set of offerings as CMU. I mean, they have fantastic performing arts and they've got great computer science and they've got architecture. I mean, they've got all of these sort of, um, on the face of it, disconnected academic areas, but within them, there's a lot of great collaboration. And so I think people should think broadly then about like, in my life, where have I collaborated? Maybe it's you know, working in a job and getting a set of responsibilities and having to figure out how to do that within my team or, you know, managing a debate or a model UN or a sports team. Or There's a lot of ways that teenagers make really meaningful contributions and mm-hmm. collaboration. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a fun topic and, and just, I, you should just sit down and think about it really broadly before you dive in and try and write it. I think, you know, come up with some yeah, possible answers and then pick the one that's going to work well for you. Um, the last one yeah. I think is, is, is the last CMU prompt is, is kind of tough. Um, because it's so open-ended. It says, consider your application as a whole. What do you personally want to emphasize about your application for the admission committee's consideration? Highlight something that's important to you or something you haven't had a chance to share. Tell us, don't show us. No websites, please. Um, So what do you do here? This is so open. How might you approach this? It is. 
Yeah, and I used to, you know, when I was doing interviews, um, I would always ask this as my last question, like, what have I missed that you would love for me to know about you? And I think that this is, if a student has some sort of story that would further illuminate their academic history, that then this would be a great place to talk about that if, if the opportunity hasn't come up. So maybe they haven't had a lot of time to do ac- um, extracurriculars because, you know, they have a couple of siblings to take care of after school, and that's their primary responsibility. Or, um, you know, uh, out of necessity, they really need to spend a decent amount of time working, not as like, let's get experience, but like, I need to contribute. And so this might be a really good place um, for us to know about that. I would love to know about that as a reader. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's you know, and I, so I think if there's additional information in that vein, same thing with I've had a lot of absences or something like that, then this is probably where to put it. But if you don't have anything that really requires an explanation, go wild. If you yeah. collect marbles, I want to know about that. You know, if you've been perfecting your brownie recipe for three years, I need to know that here. Right. Yeah, that's I, I tend to... I think because I, I'm not immediately sort of drawn to, oh, we need an explanation here. I, I tend to feel myself drawn more towards that other thing, the thing that doesn't fit into mm-hmm. any of the nice little boxes that you see with the application in terms of extracurricular activities or, um, you know, your academic history. It's like, all right, what's the thing that, that you spend your time doing that you, like, you're like you're totally in love with that you couldn't make fit in your application? Yeah. That's a really fun I opportunity, I think. Yeah. Really, really cool. This is a great this is a great place for, you know, uh, when you can't really put a hobby down in the activity section, right. that's really important yeah. to you. This is a great place. But I also, you know, I mean, you know, we're talking about people who may have the privilege and, the, you know, the for gift sure. of opportunity to explore hobbies and pursuits where someone else just may not have that. And so I do want people to feel comfortable also, you know, sharing a more practical thing if that's their reality and that is truly something we don't know. Exactly. I think it's. I think that's sort of consistent with what uh, B and I were talking about in the last section about the University of California system and providing some context to anything about your application that needs that context. And so, if you have an immediate answer to that question, then that's this is the place to share that. If you don't, then you might think a little bit more about that sort of off the wall kind of representation. And I, I don't think you should feel like you're at an advantage or disadvantage by being drawn towards m- one type of answer or the other. Yes, thank you for saying that. I agree. Of course. Okay, sweet. So let's move to Syracuse. We've got two main essays for Syracuse. And to me, what confuses me about the two of them is that they're basically different wordings of a why Syracuse without being a why Syracuse. So the first one is who or what influenced you to apply to Syracuse University? The second is who is the person you dream of becoming and how do you believe Syracuse University can help you achieve this? Uh, should students just answer these things literally, or is there some sort of hidden question here? What's the approach that you recommend? Yeah, I, I'm going to say, like, when I was working at College Coach when Syracuse changed these prompts, and it, I was, I mean, beside myself, I happened to have a lot of kids that particular year applying to Syracuse, and they turned, they like changed them late, and then here they are, and we were like, "What is this?" So, what I think after after witnessing a lot of, um, you know, false starts with kids, um, is 
kind of like the the Carnegie Mellon first one, that kids need to be super like maybe not as reflective as they need to be for the that ser- that Carnegie Mellon one, but they need to slow down and make a plan and be strategic yeah. about these. Um, I have found that answering the second one, which is who is the person you dream of becoming and how do you believe that one, um, to be an easier one to start with because mm. I think that it, um, it, then we can get all sort of the Syracuse-specific stuff kind of dealt with here um, in a way that then uh, hopefully will not overlap with what the student wants to answer with that first one about who or what influenced you. Um, I have I have found that this one about dream of becoming and, and how do you believe Syracuse can help you achieve this, you're not quite answering the question if you don't talk about what you want to pursue academically. So a student should be able to identify a major or an academic area of interest if they're undecided or a particular program, something meaty that speaks to Syracuse in specific, obviously. Yeah, I think that's totally Um, true. It really, it it is sort of a why, it's almost a why have you chosen this major kind of essay that's phrased differently. Um, but, but that really does ask you to have some researched component of, of what your belief is in, in Syracuse helping you here. Right. And so, you know, a student can obviously talk about an academic major. And then if there's someone who really, you know, dreams of having uh, maybe a life that is a little bit more broad, that includes some travel, that perhaps includes living mm, overseas, yeah. it could be a nice opportunity to weave in the, the really robust study abroad program that Syracuse has, for example, and that answers this whole who do you dream of becoming kind of angle. Yeah. So you, you're you saying start with that one in, in part because yeah. it really has the potential. The first one, which is who or what influence you to apply to Syracuse, could really co-opt a lot of the content that you might write in the second one. And it's more important to get right. the second one right first yeah. and then go back to the other one and see, okay, what have I not covered that I can share in yeah. the who or what influenced me to apply to Syracuse? That's right. Because I think the first one about the influence leaves room for a little bit of the softer elements of Syracuse. So if you have a neighbor who you always really looked up to and they wound up going to Syracuse and always talked about it and, well, that's what influenced you. That's how you learned about it. They loved it. You went for a visit. You loved it. And, oh, my goodness, then you got to see some of the other aspects of Syracuse, like the robust student life that they have and the traditions and that sort of thing, I think, is better suited for this. Um, kind of for this particular question. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's sort of, you've got these things that have a potential as a Venn diagram to overlap a huge amount. And so you yeah. want to isolate one, make sure you cover that second yeah. one first, and then go back and, and try and not try and always cover new ground with that new prompt. Kira, I want to thank sure. you for, for taking a break from reading essays to talk about essays. I really well, don't know how you, you. do <laughs> What a gift, Ian. <laughs> I know. Isn't it fantastic? It's a real change of mindset. Um, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for coming on. Um, yeah. Thanks for having fo- me. Of course, folks, when we come back, we'll introduce some great financial resources for those of you in California to attend schools in California. So if you've got an interest in the Golden State, join us after this message. 
stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. We are going to open up our finance segment of the show today to talk a little bit about some financial aid programs out in the state of California. And joining me to find some of her findings on the research she's done on California state financial aid programs is Michelle Richardson, one of our financial aid experts. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Ann. How are you? I am doing wonderfully. It's November 1st, so uh, we've, yeah. we've hit that hump, and it's a little bit of downhill from here. But I know that things are really picking up for financial aid, and, and we talked about sort of the Cal- California Student Aid Commission offering different programs for California students who meet some residency, financial, and enrollment requirements. These are great programs. They've got money for college students. They don't have to pay back. It's free money, which is fantastic. 
but you've you've said there are a lot of details here that you want to talk us through. So can you just introduce us to some of the programs for for our families that might not be aware of this availability through the the Student Aid Commission in California? What are these programs that are available and at, at what colleges? Sure, sure. Um, Typically, there's about four programs, and two of the most prominent ones, one is called the Cal Grant Program, and that is available to California residents who demonstrate uh, financial need. And uh, the Cal Grant funds can be used at any UC, any uh, CSU, or California Community College. There's actually three different types of, of Cal Grants. Um, another popular grant scholarship from the California Student Aid Commission is the Middle Class Scholarship. That scholarship provides actually a tuition discount ranging from 10 up to 40% of California system-wide fees at a UC or a CSU campus, so a very nice scholarship. Um, and then two other programs that I'm just going to mention now. One is called the Blue and Gold Opportunity Plan. That is a scholarship grant program that covers tuition and fees for California families who have low income, uh, incomes less than 80000 and the students are enrolled at a UC college. And another one for those families of uh, veterans, um, there is a college fee waiver available for dependence of veterans. Um, and so all mandatory California system fees and tuition are waived at any public college in California um, if a dependent qualifies. And there are some different qualifications for that program. Right. So so you're describing a lot of programs that seem to have, I don't want to say there are strings attached, but you have to meet some eligibility requirements if you're going to be able to have access to these programs. So, so what are some of those eligibility requirements and how can people sort of do the research to find whether they can get some of this uh, funding for their college education? Sure. So you know, generally speaking, obviously there is going to be California residency requirements and college enrollment requirements. Um, the California grant um, is available to students who are pursuing an undergraduate degree or perhaps a, a vocational or career training degree. Um, those uh Students have to be a California resident for at least one year and attending an eligible California college and be enrolled at least half-time. Um, they do have to demonstrate financial need. There are certain family income and asset ceilings um, that are uh, developed each year based on a cost of living increase. And students also have to meet minimum GPA requirements for the California grant. So. Um, one Cal grant, the GPA requirement minimum is a 3.0, and mm -hmm. another one uh, for uh, the California grant is a 2.0. So um, a lot to um, look at when it comes to knowing uh, if you meet the eligibility requirements. And the middle class scholarship, um, that is for students pursuing an undergraduate degree or a teaching credential. So not eligible for uh, associate degree or a, a career training degree. Again, they have to be a California resident and they have to be attending either a UC or a 
CSU institution. Um, mm. And there are income and asset thresholds and ceilings. And, and for the current academic year, um, right now it's set at 171000 Gotcha. Gotcha. So you've, you've mentioned a couple of asset ceilings here, or at least alluded to those with respect to the middle class scholarship. Do we also have an asset ceiling for the Cal Grant program? Are there, are these need-based uh, awards, um, and, and how do those ceilings change, you know, based on cost of living, inflation, those things sort of changing year to year? Sure. Um, with the upcoming academic year, the 2019-2020 Cal Grant program, um, there are family income and asset ceilings. Um, the ceilings for income uh, vary for the three various Cal Grant options, and they range anywhere from 43000 for a family of two, and they go up to 118500 for a family size of six or more. Um, that's the income. And then the asset ceilings are basically 37700 for any of those students who would be classified as independent. Uh, but for most students, traditional age, they're considered dependent students, and the asset threshold for the Cal Grant is currently at 79300 um, And per the California Education Code, these Cal Grant program income and asset ceilings are adjusted annually. Um, they're based on a uh, change in the cost of living um, and are uh, increased uh, accordingly regarding that. Great. I think that all, that makes sense. And, and it's, I think when you talk about assets, is that, does that include um, home and property ownership as well when we think about assets in that space? Great question. So basically, it's, they use the same asset definition as the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. So mm. families do not need to report their primary home as an asset or any home equity revolving that as long as it's their primary residence. If they do have other properties, um, whether it be a rental home or a second home of that type of, of situation that would be reported as an asset. Gotcha. Cool. That's very helpful. So students might be interested in this. They're hearing, uh, you know, some of these descriptions, they, they fit the criteria of what they're looking for. How do they apply for these programs and what are the deadlines for them to get those applications in? Yep. Um, they will need to apply via the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, or if they're not eligible to apply for the FAFSA, maybe they don't have a Social Security number, um, there is an application called the California Dream Act application. So if students are interested in applying for either the Cal Grant or the Middle Class Scholarship Program, they can fill out either the FAFSA or the California Dream Act application. Um, Students will also have to have their GPA verified. Um, and some good news there, high schools are now required um, to send those GPAs electronically to the California St 
Student Aid Commission, so that is um, a good thing. Otherwise, there is a Cal Grant GPA verification form out on their website that a student can complete. And basically, these documents, they need to be completed um, between October 1st and postmark no later than March 2nd. Um, and I certainly wouldn't push the, the March 2nd deadline. Gotcha. Now, you know, you've done a ton of research on these um, different programs and components and just hearing you talk about them and looking at some of the research that you put in is these are very complicated programs. You've got different numbers, different ceilings, different requirements, different eligibility index, everything. Um, where can our families go if they want to find some more information or resources around these different programs? Sure. Um, there is, uh, if you're looking for Cal Grant resources, you can go to www.calgrants.org. Um, there's also um, the California Student Aid Commission has created a Web Grants for Students website. It's also known as WGS. So once the students apply for these scholarships or grants, they can go out and create uh, an account, basically, and it allows them to have access to all the information and resources about these programs. It also allows them to view any updates um, and to see where their state financial aid application is in the process and if they've been approved for any of these programs and if they need to change anything. So, um, and, you know, to wrap it up, um, students can always get more information regarding these California state programs at mygrantinformation.csac.ca.gov. So, um, and if they go to the California Student Aid Commission, um, the information on all these programs is, is readily available there. And of course, you can do if you're if you're getting lost, you can do web searches for Cal Grants, California Middle Class Scholarship, Blue and Gold Opportunity Plan, or College Fee Waiver for Dependents of Veterans. Those things will all probably point you in the right direction. Um, and, and you know, I think it's safe to say, Michelle, that it's a it's a good idea to have some sort of organizational tool, whether you want to have just a paper sheet where you're keeping track of these things or a spreadsheet that you're keeping on your computer of all of the deadlines and expectations and requirements that are associated with these scholarships and any other scholarships that you're looking at. Absolutely. Um, however the student uh, best organizes their data and information, and as we all know with the college admission application process and mm -hmm. then on the finance side, there's different, you know, scholarship deadlines all over the board, including state scholarship and grant programs like the, the Cal Grant and the Middle Class Scholarship. So, yes, uh, it is best to be organized with all of this uh, data because you don't want to miss out on any opportunities for free dollars to help reduce that cost of education. That is 100% true. Michelle, thanks for taking the time to research these topics so thoroughly and, and guiding us through your findings today. Absolutely. Well, folks, that is all the time that we have for today's show. I want to thank Steve Brennan, Kira Tyler, and of course, Michelle for joining us and sharing their expertise with our families. I hope you all learned as much as I did. Next week, 
it's been a while since we've had a chance to answer your questions on the air. But now that we've passed this major November 1 milestone that I keep mentioning, I'm, I'm a little excited, uh, we'll be responding to your questions. As always, you can send us a note or a question at gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. We'll also be talking directly to parents of first-year college students about the bumpier transition to college. What do you do if your student comes home for Thanksgiving break with talk of transferring? We'll help arm you with some great questions to ask and ways to support your student. Until next week, enjoy all that leftover Halloween candy and try not to eat so much that you get sick. That's going to be a real challenge for me every single day. I know it. Thanks for joining us on Getting In and have a lovely weekend. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.